Hello and welcome to the Gentleman's Journal podcast, a fortnightly discussion all about success, modern business and the lives of entrepreneurs. I'm Joe Bullmore, I'll be your host for the day and I'm joined this afternoon by Luca Folloni, the founder of the Italian menswear brand that bears his name. Luca's business is a classic style startup success story, one excellent hero product, a little artisan craftsmanship, a successful online store, a loyal following and then the slow, steady climb to start competing with the big boys. Today, the brand has four major stores across the world, with seven more in the works, and has an adoring following wherever it goes. Their linen shirts, in particular, come highly prized. In this episode, Luca tells us why 28 is the ideal age to start a business, why the restaurant owner next door can teach you just as much about business as Elon Musk, and why there's no such thing as being over-prepared. But before we start this episode, I'd love to tell you very briefly about The Clubhouse, a new kind of private members club brought to you by Gentleman's Journal. Clubhouse members get four issues of Gentleman's Journal magazine delivered straight to their door across the year, full of all those invaluable insights from the world of entrepreneurship, style and culture that you'd hope for, as well as, of course, some exclusive deals with a range of partner brands, restaurants and hotels, not to mention invitations to some very exciting events across the year. In fact, if you're a podcast listener, which you obviously are, you now get 20% off your annual Clubhouse membership, meaning you get the full Gentleman's Journal experience in full colour for just £56 a year, which sounds a bit like a bargain to me. To get that, just enter the code POD20, that's P-O-D-2-0, at thegentlemansjournal.com slash club. That's POD20 at thegentlemansjournal.com slash club. Luca, ciao. Thank you very much for joining us on the Gentleman's Journal podcast. Thank you for having me. Luca Falloni is your name, but it's also the name of your brand, and it seems kind of perfect. It's got all that kind of Italian flair in it. When you were starting this, did you think that you'd have an eponymous clothing brand? Did you think you'd name it after yourself? Well, uh, it was one of the most difficult decisions. Yeah. Uh, I remember I was um, one day walking in the streets of London, and... Uh, I looked at all the other brands on okay. the top of the stores and I was thinking of the ones I don't know which ones sound more important. <laughs> and um, and I went home and, and I, wrote, I wrote the names down and all of them were uh, names of people with first name and surname. And um, then thinking about it, my name was easy to pronounce, yeah. short, sounded Italian, so I went for it. Okay, good. Well, it's working out so far. But your first job wasn't in fashion, was it? No, I started off in uh, consulting, okay. strategy consulting at Bain & Company. And um, it was a great period to, to, to learn, to see a lot of industries, to see a lot of problems. Uh, I learned that I like the retail industries, mm-hmm. uh, consumer-facing industries. And also I, I had some projects in the fashion industry where I learned a lot about it. Yeah. And you grew up in Turin? Yes. Which, uh, is that a fashionable city? Is it kind of a hub of culture? Well, it's the first capital of Italy. Okay. Uh, some people call it the little Paris. I call Paris the big Torino. Okay. Um, it's very elegant. It's very uh, classic, yeah. Yeah. Are all Italian men better dressed than British men? No, I think we have some uh, fair competition. Fine. Uh, different styles maybe on some items, but both are uh, in the top league. Okay, good. I'm glad you said that. 
<laughs> very diplomatic. So after Bain, what, how did you begin setting up Luca Filoni? Were you, you, you were studying at that point, weren't you? So I, when I was at Bain, I was in San Francisco yeah. uh, in the last part of it for several months. And I came across the direct-to-consumer model, mm-hmm. which was starting off in, uh, in the United States around that time with company like Warby Parkers in the eyewear space. Uh, so all these companies were skipping the middleman and giving better value to customers. And essentially, I, I didn't know about this model, and I thought immediately, wow, this could be applied to the uh, high-end Italian um, uh, clothing, essentially. And is it true that you, when you were starting to set it up, you had an encounter with the EasyJet founder, whose name I won't try and pronounce, in, in a bathroom, is that right? That was a, a few months before that. Yeah. Um, there was um, an event at LSE where the founder of Easy Group was speaking, and uh, just before the event, I was in the bathroom, and he was next to me. Okay. And um, we, st- we had a brief chat and he said, uh, he gave an advice, which is you, s- you should start a business when you're 28 because you're uh, old enough to have some experience and you're young enough not to have too many things to worry about. Yeah. Um, so I thought, wow, I'm, I'm, I better hurry up because I was 28 at that, at that okay. point. <laughs> right, so you did it. You started that year. More or less, yes. Wow, good. Uh, and who were your business inspirations at that age? Who, who did you look up to apart from... Stelios, that's it. Look, there, there, are, there are many people um, that I believe um, build great things and you can learn a lot from. There are, of course, the, the famous entrepreneurs like Elon Musk that, you know, uh, from him you will learn that you have to work hard. Uh, but, you know, I also admire the small entrepreneurs that no one's talk about. Like, uh, you might go to a, a restaurant next door in your neighborhood and... Uh, there is the owner that is always there and is passionate with clients. And, and so there is a huge uh, scale of, um, yeah. of people that you should take some learning from. Okay. So can you tell us a bit about your, your marketing mix, as people like to call it? How much do you use traditional media? How much do you use social? How much do you use influencers? Dare I say that word? Do you, do you like influencers, for example? Well, we, we started off with um, in the early years with... Uh, what was more easily accessible to us, Mm -hmm. which was um, Facebook and Instagram advertising. And uh, uh, that worked really well in the early years. Mm -hmm. Now it is more expensive to acquire customers purely that way. So as we grew, we we added to the mix. And uh, we added not only with the uh, idea of acquiring more customers, but also with the idea of giving people the... um, the understanding that we were a real brand. So we had the store, and by the way, I look at the rent of the store as marketing spend rather okay. than uh, operations, for yeah, instance. Yeah. And uh, we started advertising on print because I believe, although you cannot measure it, you can certainly um, uh, associate with an audience that mm. read a magazine, and therefore uh, you can give a certain brand identity. And uh, recently, we started doing a little bit more of the influencer marketing. But to be honest, we, I don't believe in uh, having the big influencers wearing your product because most people know that it's not authentic. They've yeah. been paid for it. Um, I believe more in having some of our customers wear the product. And we, we like to retag pictures sure. of our customers. Uh, we like some of the small influencer you know, review the products or use yeah. it in, in the holiday, etc. So I suppose your your flagship product is the linen shirt. That's what I kind of think of first off when I think of Luca Filoni. How did you go about designing that? How many prototypes did you go through? The linen shirt was the first product that we developed in the um, ready-to-wear category. Mm-hmm. Before that, 
we started off with accessories because um, I thought they would be easier to sell online because there are no sizes yeah. and uh, um, but also that category was more competitive okay. so it was more difficult to break through um, so I remember I was visiting manufacturers in Italy and I saw uh, one of the best linen uh, shirt maker that mm-hmm. are there and I fell in love with, uh, with, with the person with the factory and um, so we started off developing prototypes together and we ended up with something which I believe is one of the best products in the world in that, in that category and off there then we thought a few months later okay what is the products we can do for the winter, the equivalent, and we ended up with the brush cotton shirts, etc. So mm-hmm. we, we grew from there, kind of. Yeah, and what are the what are the Luca Filoni signature details that, that mean we can spot a Luca Filoni shirt at 50 paces? Well, the the one piece collar is uh, yeah. kind of uh, the element that is is more unique. Essentially, it's a clean design and stays up more nicely, also okay. under a blazer. Then you have all the elements like matter of per buttons, Giglio stitching, which is a particular handmade uh, type of stitching. And how did you go about getting advice? Because you're not from a fashion design background, you're from a consulting background. How did you get advice? Did you, did you hire designers or did you design it yourself? So the, the, the very first employee I hired was in the design space because, of course, I thought I didn't know much about the industry, so sure. I needed someone uh, with that background. But over the years, and we started this like about six years ago now, uh, that, the, the design of the product was the area of the business that interested me the most mm-hmm. and I spent a lot of time with all the Italian manufacturers and um, you know I'm very curious in general so I ask a million questions whoever I meet in Italy and eventually uh, I developed uh, good skills on, on the design of the products and it's the area today where I must spend my time. Oh okay. Were there any designs that didn't make the cut? Have you got any experiments that went wrong? Absolutely. Um, <laughs> after we launched cashmere knitwear, um, a few customers started asking if we could do cashmere trousers. Okay. And I did develop uh, some pairs, and uh, I love them, to be honest. They're very comfortable, but they, they look like a pyjama, so right. I, I don't think they would make the cut. Yeah, I've never seen cashmere trousers, apart from maybe on a suit, but I guess that's usually cashmere wool. Were they pure, yeah. pure cashmere? Well, they're like knitted, so like wow. is is uh, is what you use for the jumper. And, okay. and um, <laughs> oh, I if see. you do it wow. on the trousers, it looks like a pyjama. So yeah. they're very comfortable, but not for the... Right classic market. Are there still some of those knocking about? Have you got a pair? I, I still have a pair okay, and wow. I treasure them. It'll be worth something one day, I'm sure. Uh, so how did you go about funding the project when you first started? Yeah, so the first day was essentially uh, my savings and then was uh, my best friend and then was the, you know, as you as you keep going and, and you more and more people believe that you're actually putting your effort in something and your passion, um, more and more people want to invest, and uh, it's like a snowball yeah. um, effect. Like, uh, and, and then some of our early customers ask, and some of my other friends and business contacts. It was little by little, and, wow. and and then we never raised from funds, although we always want um, get requests okay. uh, from them because I always I always wanted to keep the control on the business, sure. so I didn't want to have too much institutional money in it. Yeah, so there's actually kind of a whole crowd of investors out there but you didn't do crowdfunding in the traditional No, we didn't way. do crowdfunding but we have a lot of, of a lot of smaller investors. Okay. Does that make it harder or easier to manage? You have lots of voices or or are you still the boss? Well, uh, it, it makes it easier because um, th- these people are oriented to the long term so mm-hmm. they, they know what is our project. They don't while venture capital they need to cash out in a few years so they push you to grow much faster. And uh, when you develop a brand it takes time to develop a brand, it takes time to improve your products. 
it takes time to understand what the customer really wants. So you, you shouldn't rush certain things. Yeah. And why did you decide to make London the, the center of the Luca Filoni business? So London was, I lived in Italy until I was um, in my early 20s. And then I came to study London for my master. And then I remained here to work. And so it was the center of my uh, personal life. So we started off from here. But of course, now the business is becoming, uh, has become over the years much more international. And uh, now we just open our store in New York, for instance, because yeah. America was uh, um, our biggest online market and um, New York was uh, the, the second city after London. And uh, so as we go, we will, we will um, hire more people internationally okay. and London will become less relevant. Okay, well, that's sad. It's a shame. <laughs> uh, menswear staples, I suppose that's the space you're in, although the luxury end. That's a very crowded market at the moment. How do you make yourself stand out in that? Well, first of all, it is crowded, but it's very difficult, I believe, to find good quality items with fine materials at a fair price. And uh, a lot of the, the, the main brands, they try to change the collection every year, develop uh, some unique designs, but uh, the customers still want um, simple things that they can wear season after season. So to find consistent, high-quality staples, I don't believe is that easy, actually. Yeah. What do you think most needs to change about the menswear market? What, what irritates you the most? So in, in, the, in the latest year, I believe casual and formal are merging more and more. Okay. Uh, so people want to be more casual in the office, more formal when, when they go out sometimes. Okay. So we, many of the items we develop, for instance, like the, the hoodie. Yeah. Uh, the hoodie is something that is not that casual for a hoodie because it doesn't have pockets, doesn't have a zipper, doesn't have uh, a brand on it, mm -hmm. and is in a fine material. It's not in cotton, it's in cashmere. And so you can actually wear it over a shirt in the office. And um, so I, I believe that is a clear trend, casual yeah. and formal merging. And what's the mix then between, you spoke about your stores in New York and, and all over the world, what's the mix between physical retail and, and online? Yeah, so we, started online and we were online only for the first four years. Mm -hmm. One of our customers of the early days was a real uh, retail mm -hmm. um, agent and he uh, came to meet me. Uh, actually, he, he made up an excuse. He said one of the shirt broke. Okay. And so he wanted to meet me directly to give me <laughs> feedback. Right. And uh, it turns out he wanted to pitch me the idea of opening stores. And uh, I, I was very skeptical. I always wanted to be online only. Uh, to have you know everything centralized, sell worldwide, cut on the retail channel, mm -hmm. uh, you know the rents. But he convinced me to start to do a, a pop-up to start with, and I was uh, amazed by interacting live with the customers, by seeing people, random people walking in front of the store the first time, trying the product and buying off um, directly. Mm -hmm. So we tried then with a, a bigger pop-up on a major street. And it went really well. So from there, we decided, okay, we should also develop an offline presence. And um, we now have um, four stores, and we plan to open another seven or eight next year. Then what we've noticed is that the two channels work really well together. Yeah. So some people uh, learn about the brand online, but then they prefer to buy offline. Some people want to try the sizes offline, and then 
they purchase yeah. online so they don't have to worry about bringing home a bag. Okay. And um, some people buy online and they come to exchange your products in store later. Yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing. And some people have different preferences. You, you have the customers that would never buy online and the customer that would never buy offline and queue to try something, etc. Sure. And do you ever work behind the till yourself? Do you still go in there and serve the customers? I like to spend in store, like in each of them, like an hour per week on a Saturday. I go like each store okay. and well, now it's going to be increasingly difficult because we have them in different geographies. But uh, in the early days, I was there yeah. the full time. Then I started doing one day a week, then a bit less. But it's always fun to be in front of the final user and see how they interact with okay. the product, see um, with, with the feedback that they give, what they like, what they don't like, who they are. Yeah. Do you tell them that you're Luca Filoni? You Sometimes, yes. Okay. I remember <laughs> there was a funny uh, story once. I, I came into the store and a manager introduced me to a customer and uh, he said, oh, this is Luca, by the way. <laughs> and the customer asked me, hi, uh, nice to meet you. Are you new here? Oh, right. <laughs> okay. Fine. You said I started the thing. Who are your biggest competitors then on the high street at the moment? Who who keeps you awake at night, do you think? I mean, when you are a direct-to-consumer player, so a brand that doesn't use the wholesale channel, uh, you can uh, uh, be give better value for money, mm -hmm. right? So the reality is that the competitors that have the same quality cost more money. Yeah. The competitors that have the same price offer less quality. So there are not that many players in our um, ve value proposition sure. and with the products that we offer. So I, I don't, uh, we, I always like to compete with, with ourselves. So for every product and for everything we do, we week after week, I have a list of areas where I want to improve a little bit, mm -hmm. okay? And, uh, and so we try to compete with ourselves, we listen to the customer, and uh, if we keep doing that, we'll have the best product and company in the market in a few years' time. And you work some fairly unusual hours. You've told me before. You sometimes work till kind of 6 or 7 a.m. in the morning. Is that still the case? I mean, it, it, yeah, it varies. So I have sometimes, sometimes I say I send emails really late at night okay. or <laughs> early in the morning. And um, some, cost, some suppliers ask me, uh, do you, I mean, were you up that late or were you early that, okay. uh, <laughs> that early? Yeah. Uh, were you up that early? And I always say, you know, it depends, like, it depends sure. on the day. So <laughs> I like to work a lot um, in the late evening and in the weekend because that's the moment where the outside world doesn't disturb you. Okay. You don't receive emails, there are no news to check, and so you can really focus on improving some, you know, sure. some topics. And uh, while in the office instead is very difficult because... Yeah. Uh, everyone asks you a question and is more distracting. Okay. Do you ever go on holiday? Do you have breaks or you're one of those founders who doesn't allow themselves a day off? Um, until now, I, I did always only long weekends. Uh, this summer, for the first time in six years, I took a full week off. Okay. was refreshing. Yeah. And uh, Did you turn your phone off or did you still have your phone on? I, I, I didn't check it. It was okay, on, but... Didn't check it too much, <laughs> and a lot of disasters happened uh, really? in that week. So, <laughs> oh, did they? <laughs> Not, I mean, the usual. Fine. It, in this industry, in the manufacturing industry, there are a lot of, uh, you know, when they tell you the cliche that everything that can go wrong will go wrong. Yeah. I don't know for other industry, but I can tell you for for the manufacturing industry, it's yeah. true for sure. What are some of the big things that that go wrong? What are the biggest problems you've had? Well, in for instance, in the now that we just opened the store in New York. The day um, we were due to start work, 
the contractor told me they actually didn't have any contractor ready for that. Oh, wow. And the furniture was w one month late. So oh, okay. <laughs> that is to give a, a small example. Yeah. In the early days, there would be, it's, it's very difficult to work with the Italian artisans and producers because uh, they make great quality products, but they're often late mm. or you have to, you know, work a lot harder to, to get them to be on track, yeah. etc. So, But I, I believe I have this view of complexity and um, I believe um, when a business is difficult is actually sometimes a good news because um, then it forces you to improve and work harder and then you learn and next time uh, everything seems much easier. Yeah. And what do you like in a crisis? What were you like when you were told that the furniture wouldn't arrive for a month? How did well, you get around it as well? Well, I... I took the first flight to New York. Okay. To so you 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 go you jump into action. Well, you have to. Okay. Um, I took the first flight to New York to make sure the contractors were lined up to uh, start the store as soon as possible. We put together a plan B and uh, we built some of the furniture really fast and some oh, other wow. we source it and uh, you do what you have to do and some yeah. other is still under production and will arrive later on. Fine. When they tell you. Uh, you know, in business, many of the founders would tell you, start something and then improve it along the way. And in the early days, I was totally against that principle because I tend to be a perfectionist. And if something is not totally right, I would maybe, um, you know, wait for the release. Okay. But um, now I, I appreciate the benefits of launching, a, a, you know, a store or... Yeah a new product and then improve a little bit more along the way. For instance, uh, lately we, on the product side, we always wanted to add trousers. Although we were aware that online is difficult and online is still our main market. Um, so we just didn't do online. We launched the trousers in stores, a sure. small batch, and the only purpose was to see what the customer would say. And then we improve it from there. And uh, that, that was actually a very interesting way to develop a product. Mm. And we are using stores more and more to as research and development okay. source. So what was the reaction to the trousers? Do people like them? Well, some gave feedback about the material, some gave feedback about the lengths, and um, uh, some new product ideas came out of that. Some customers ask, yes, you this trouser is good, but you should also have some elegant trousers mm. you know, to wear under a blazer. And, you know... It's, it, it starts a discussion that you didn't have before. Definitely. So although you don't start with a perfect product, you start with something and you can get to a perfect product yeah. relatively soon. You know what I'm after in the trouser department? I want, I, it's hard for me to find trousers because I've got quite short legs and quite a big bum. So I need something that can, that's high-waisted and kind of semi-elegant, semi semi-formal, but also informal. So you can wear it with a blazer but an open collar and maybe a single pleat. Is, is that going to happen at Luca Filoni? We, we, we might work on it. We'll okay. take it. We'll add it to the feedback they, there's list. There's no one doing that at the moment, really. Not on the high street. You've got you to go to a tailor and get something special. So there you go. That's my, that's my two cents. Thank so, you. So let's talk about your, um, your advice to other entrepreneurs. Uh, do you think there's a certain traits that all entrepreneurs have? Uh, yes. I believe, well, there are a few. Mm -hmm. uh, one, you have to be an optimist because... Uh, what what entrepreneurs do, starting a company from zero, um, it's against the odds, right? And um, it's difficult. You, you're going to uh, encounter difficulties along the way. So you, from the very beginning, you have to think that you can make it. And uh, 
And that approach gives you the, the point of view when difficulties arise, you think how to solve them. You don't think, oh, things are getting difficult, I might quit. You right. just don't have that attitude. You just like want to break the brick walls. Sure. And, uh, and you underestimate the risk, which is fine because it pushes you to start new things, new stores. When now we are opening, for instance, the operations were mainly focused in the UK before, and uh, I decided I, we were going to open a store in New York and in Stockholm and start operations in Europe as well for the uh, mm. upcoming Brexit. And all of these I decided to do at the same time, which look, if I can, could go back six months now, I, that was a crazy decision. Okay. But yeah. I didn't know it was crazy back then, so we just did it. Yeah, yeah. Did you ever feel like quitting? Do you ever feel like throwing in the towel? You know, at the beginning you've asked me... Um, about giving my name to the business. Mm -hmm. uh, there were strategic reasons for that. Um, I, uh, I believe, well, for, first of all, in the fashion industry, most of the big brands, they're, they yeah. still have the name of the founder and uh, other reasons. But also giving your name to something, and in Italy, many entrepreneurs give their name to the company. Um, it gives you the extra um, determination to just keep going whatever happens because you don't want your name to fail. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a big responsibility to have. When you put your name on a building or on a cloth, you want to make sure that that is good. Yeah. And what advice would you give to 18-year-old Luca? You know, I probably stayed a little bit too long in the corporate world. Okay. Uh, I think it's important to work for someone else at the beginning, but doesn't necessarily have to be a corporation or a big Okay. employer you can make a lot of experience in a small company mm -hmm. which which has some trajectory and uh, yeah and that prepares you probably more for uh, a startup future okay. who do you think you'll be competing with in 10 years time do you think it's going to be luca feloni and ralph lauren look i believe um the fashion industry is changing a lot five six years ago the direct to consumer model came into play so now a lot of customers still believe you get what you pay for. Uh, I believe you get what you pay for if you buy from direct-to-consumer brands. Yeah. Now, um, a lot of the old legacy players will be uh, will gradually lose market share, and that's because they offer worse value for money. And uh, I believe the landscape will be very different in 10, 20 years' time. I probably will not compete with Ralph Lauren, but I will compete with some other direct-to-consumer brands that maybe people have not heard of sure. yet, and they're maybe not born yet. Yeah. I believe the space will be direct-to-consumer players against direct-to-consumer players. Okay, how exciting. So you, you manage a team of about 30 people, you were telling me earlier. 30 people at the moment. What yeah. do you look for when you're hiring staff? I think it's very important that... Um, I, I hire for attitude and the willingness to, to learn and to, and to work. And uh, um, I don't necessarily look at the best experience on day mm -hmm. one. If people are understand, are passionate about what they do and they're willing to learn, they'll, they'll put the effort and they will do great outcome. Yeah. So that's what I look for, attitude. Is there one question you ask everyone, a kind of curveball you chuck to get a gauge of their character? Um, I always ask... To, to get an understanding of their, their character, I, I might ask things like, if you want to cross the street and the light is red, what, okay. what do you do? And, right. and I want to see, some people take it, oh, it depends if I'm in a car or if I'm walking. Or, oh, wow. So I, I just wanted to understand their attitude towards uh, the legal environment and uh, um, risk taking, okay. et cetera, et cetera. So do you like people who break the rules or do you like people 
who stick to the rules? When there is this nice book called um, Blitzscaling by the founder of LinkedIn. And uh, he teaches you what happens at each, at each level of a development of a new company. And uh, when the company is small, mm -hmm. you are allowed to be a pirate, according to, to him. Okay. And as you get more established, you have to turn into become the Navy. And I believe the system in place um, sometimes is very complex. Like in New York, you have a lot of regulations. It's, I mean, you wouldn't think so at the beginning, but like when you start wanting to open a business there, it's very uh, complex. And um, when you're a small company, sometimes you have to find some shortcuts. Uh, that doesn't mean breaking the law, but it means being creative. Yeah. So are you more of a pirate or are you in the Navy yet? We are, we are transitioning. Okay, fine. Good. You need to have a bit of both, I think. I think that's important. So what's Luca Filoni got? coming up on the horizon? Well, we definitely, in the near future, will do more on the retail side, especially um, we want to grow the global presence and in a way that also takes into account seasonality uh, of the industry. So we want to be strong in regions that, uh, that have cold weather and strong in regions yeah. that have warm weather. That uh, allows to simplify our cash flow and our uh, make us more uh, stable as a company. And so we, we, we will do something in uh, places like Miami, Dubai, oh, wow. for, the, uh, for the linen market. And we will do, we're opening a store in Stockholm, actually, sure. uh, this week. And uh, because we want to get stronger in the, in the colder climates as well. So retail is an area and uh, for channels development. And in terms of products, we will invest more and more into developing um, the trousers category. Yeah. So, so to complete the total look that we have done uh, from the beginning, but still focus on fine materials. Okay. And Italians obviously are famous for their footwear as well. You have attempted to get into shoes, or is that too far? I believe uh, uh, footwear is a, a, a different market yeah. um, and um, uh, is not in the horizon for us. Fine. So let's ask you these uh, the quickfire questions we ask everyone. So they're as much about Luca Filoni the man, not Luca Filoni the brand. So Luca, what do you think you'd be doing if you weren't doing this? Well, I, when I was uh, younger and um, also from my school years, I was always interested in investing. Okay. And uh, I was fairly good at math. So it was always a, a, a passion of mine as something to do on the side. So I always thought maybe one day uh, I could do something in... Uh, okay. In, in finance, in hedge funds, and you know, but I always then turned for the. I wanted to build something. I wanted to create something. So I always uh, decided not to do it. Okay, I think you made the right choice. Thanks. Clothes are much more interesting than hedge funds. So, what's your worst habit then? Wow, that's a difficult question. Um, so the worst habit I can tell you about. You, you. <laughs> okay, <laughs> what's the most impressive thing you can cook? Look, I'm. Um, you're an Italian. You've got to have something good. I yes, but like <laughs> in clothing, you know, I believe in clothing. The most simple staples can be the best yeah. thing that you can own and last for, for several years. Okay. The same thing is in in food. I believe some of the best restaurants out there are the ones that still do very simple but good food. And uh, I don't like these restaurants that do like something very fancy yeah. and uh, modern. I love to cook uh, uh, a very nice plate of spaghetti with a tomato. And I like to, to do like some very nice uh, tuna fila. Wonderful. Who does the best pasta in London then? Which restaurant should we go to? 
do you think, um, as an Italian? Now, there is one which is a very uh, touristic name, okay. but um, uh, it's actually very good, and it's called Portobello Restaurant and Pizzeria. Oh, right, fine. So that's up near you in Notting Hill. Uh, well, you have to take me there one day. One day. Uh, what are you most proud of so far in the history of Luca Falloni? Uh, I believe um, we, if I, if I go back five years and um, uh, add to the side where I wanted to be today, mm-hmm. I think we are exactly the right um, place. Yeah. And uh, we, we developed uh, a wide enough collection with uh, some items that are very popular. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have clients everywhere in the world. And um, um, I, I, I think, you know, yes, there are companies that become extremely huge very, very fast. But I want to eventually get there, and I believe in the long term. I, I'm not in a rush to uh, skip some yeah. of the necessary steps. If you could learn one new skill, what would it be? Uh, I always add in my to-do list uh, to play the guitar. Okay. <laughs> and I, I, did, I did try back in the days. I had a, a teacher for yeah. one, one lesson. Then I kind of didn't follow up okay. <laughs> anymore. I'm, I'm, sometimes I'm not that good at um, pursuing uh, long-term skill development yeah. outside of work. Um, but yeah, sing, um, guitar would have been one. Okay. Were you in a band when you were a child or not? No, no. no fine. If you were going to have a band, what would it be called? That's a very difficult question. That's very difficult. <laughs> it must be something like... the. Um, you ask a very difficult question. Yeah, I do. That one was off the cuff. So, do you have a personal motto? Uh, yes, I, I. There was a quote I heard when I was a, a kid, uh, and uh, it's something like, "If you're not overprepared, that means you're underprepared." Okay. And uh, I, I do believe in life. You have to. Uh, the area in between things can be not good enough. So yeah. you, you, I always tell my employees, try to, even if everything seems fine, try to anticipate what might come next and try to be super uh, knowledgeable about everything just in case you're not. Okay. So what's your most treasured possession in the world? Uh, I do have uh, some pictures I really um, love and I'm glad I've taken them. Okay. Uh, one is a picture taken into my apartment uh, when we started a, co- a few months after we started a company. It's uh, me and uh, my first employee, and uh, we are in this room. We're surrounded by a million of uh, packaging of shirts yeah, yeah. and all sorts of things. And uh, it, it, it uh, I love, I love this picture because it reminds me of the early days, and I know where it started. Okay. And we kind of took it because at that point I saw. A picture of uh, Jeff Bezos on a, in the very first period of Amazon. Yeah. On a, he was using a desk with a, a door and some made with a door <laughs> and some books, and kind of it reminded me that situation. It reminds me of the early days and how things are rough. Okay, so do you look at that when things are getting tough and think we've come a long way? Is it, is it encouraging? It is encouraging and it, it is fun. You know, when you think you haven't done enough, you should, you should still look at yeah. the progress and, and, and see where you are today, yes. Of course. Is there a book that's influenced you more than any others? I uh, read a lot and um, I, on the business side, there is a book I always gift to everyone for Christmas. Mm-hmm. I mean, the people that didn't get it before from me. And that is uh, Shoe Dog yes. by the founder of Nike. <laughs> and... Uh, 
that book was gifted to me by a friend when I was starting the business, uh, more or less, or a couple of years after, I don't remember. But in that book, you understand how difficult it is to build a huge manufacturing business yeah. at scale and um, all sorts of things that can go wrong on the way, but also the fun associated with it. And uh, so that is one of my most in- interesting books. I like the, the book, from a st- strategy point of view, I like the book Seven, Seven Powers. Okay. Never With, heard of that. What's that about? It's an interesting um, way to analyze um, businesses uh, alternative to the uh, the forces of uh, uh, Porter. And uh, it, it really teaches you how to think strategically yeah. in the long term uh, on how to maintain the business uh, valuable, making sure you cannot have competition essentially in what you do. Okay. And uh, another business book, which is which I thought was very interesting, was uh, Blitzscaling uh, by the founder of LinkedIn. On the on the personal note, I like to read biographies of um, you know all sorts of people, to be honest. Yeah. And uh, I, I I like to what I like about biographies is that um, you can learn something, but also it feels like a novel in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So finally, Luca, what's your idea of perfect happiness? Well. Happiness involves doing things you like and mm-hmm. I'm passionate about. And uh, for instance, uh, I don't believe in the use of the term working. Like if many people say I work too much, but I actually love what I do. And so that gives me happiness, creating a new products or um, doing something that a customer gives me a compliment about. So uh, on, the, on the work side of your life you should be doing something you really uh, love and where hours are not important because it's you would do that for free and on your personal side um i would say it's uh spending time with the people uh, uh, you love uh in the until a few years ago i used to spend a lot of time uh, i mean little time with a lot of people yeah now i'm much more focused on spending a lot of time with a few people and um, those are my best friends and i very treasure the, the moments i spend with them I hate traveling because I that makes me traveling for work, for instance, because that makes me far away from my friends. Uh, yeah, that's the definition of happiness, I believe. Wonderful, Luca. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Well, if you enjoyed this episode of the Gentleman's Journal podcast, you may well like the Gentleman's Journal magazine, the world's finest quarterly dispatch from the front line of luxury, entrepreneurship and style. In fact, as you may have heard earlier, podcast listeners now get 20% off our annual subscription. Just enter the code POD20, that's P-O-D-2-0, at www.thegentlemansjournal.com slash club. That's POD20 at thegentlemansjournal.com slash club. And if you really like this episode... Why not rate us five stars on the iTunes store or, of course, wherever you happen to get your podcasts? I think that would be a lovely idea. Anyway, I'll leave you alone now. Bye-bye.